Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Deer Show. I'm your host, Nick Penizzato, here with the co-host, the doctor, doctor in the house, Mr. Mike Groman. And today we're going to talk with a young woman by the name of Jen Delaney. If you are on TikTok, you've probably seen her flinging arrows at all kinds of things from, I think, peanuts to uh, shooting arrows through wine bottles and all these other crazy things. She's a traditional archer. She has a a uh, little following behind the name uh, Freedom and Feathers. When I say little, like over a million people following her on TikTok and some other things. And uh, just a, again, just a, a really cool, interesting person that we're looking forward to talking to. And uh, again, if you're on TikTok and you follow Archery at all, you may have seen her already. So sometimes, Mike, these shows are actually almost never these shows that serious, but sometimes we tackle more serious topics, but sometimes we just like to have some fun too. And we're certainly going to do that today with Jen, I think. So looking forward to getting into some interesting topics with her. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You kind of change it up a little bit. This is the off-season for us. And to be able to actually use the off-season to explore what else is out there, I think looking at traditional archery and having someone as entertaining as Jen on the show would be a very good segue into the, the off-season. I think at this time of year, we're early February, we're about as far away from the next deer hunting season as we could possibly be. And so, yes, we're going to, we're going to keep it fun. We're going to keep it light. And I am, I do want to ask her a couple uh, sort of serious questions about communicating and getting our message out, which I'll be interested to hear her answer in that. So a sponsor for today, Loophold. You, if you're hearing this now, you've already missed our winter sweeps that we ran with loophole. We gave away a whole bunch of really cool loophole stuff, and that just ended earlier this week. So I'm sorry you missed it if you missed it, but that doesn't mean you have to miss out on loophole. They're a good sponsor of ours. Uh, they, uh, a lot of cool stuff on their website. It's not just about selling optics. They've also, they cover a lot of, frankly, just good deer hunting stories as well, but definitely check out our friends at loophole. The best warranty you'll never use as they put it. Loophole, be relentless. Ask any, ask NDA anything. We asked Mike and our listeners have delivered. Nice. Yes. And we've got two. I'm going to go with two today because these are, I think, thought provoking. One person is going to ask us some advice, which they obviously are really lost in life if they're asking us for advice, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, t- we'll tell them what we think and uh, we'll see where that goes. But let's go ahead and start with uh, Pierce, Pierce comes to us from Mississippi and has written to us in the past, but, uh, this is a really good question and it's a fun one. Uh, he says, if, if, and in, it's funny in parentheses, he puts God forbid, <laughs> if one day, all of a sudden something catastrophic happened to cause us to no longer have white tailed deer, what large herbivore mammal from anywhere in the world would you think would be the most fun to take its place or, uh, be most proper to fill its niche. So Mike, I'm, this, this is a question that has to start with the doctor here. Yeah. If we didn't have white tails, what do you think would take its place? And I, I, he doesn't say that we can't use something that's already here. So I think it's wide mm-hmm. open to anything big. I think it would have to probably be, I'd have to go with elk. I, I know that it's in that that same cervid family, but elk have historically had a range that extended into the East. We actually have a few elk in Pennsylvania. I know they're in Kentucky. So 
I think that with the herd now, could it really happen? I don't think so because of the type of ground that elk really need to cover and, and graze on. But I think it would be elk would be my, would be my hope because I, I would always, I'd love to bow hunt elk. I think that would be a really, really cool adventure and to have it right out in your backyard for those that of you that do are very lucky individuals. Yeah. Yeah. There are some really actually really great elk populations in the East Pennsylvania, Kentucky, uh, for sure that you mentioned, uh, yeah, this is a toughie. I'm gonna I'm going to eliminate the whole idea that the habitat has to fit them because he doesn't say that necessarily. He just says if we had to replace hunting whitetails with something. Uh, so I'm gonna go with this is this is weak. I know I, maybe I'll go with two, but I'll say mule deer initially, and because I've had a taste of the mule deer hunting world, uh, spot and stock with the bow out west when I lived in North Dakota, that was a heck of a lot of fun. And mule deer are just so cool. I was looking back through some of my old videos from those times the other day. And I just love how mule deer, they have those eyes that are so black. And when they lock on you, they just stare right through you. It's like they're looking through your soul, and, you know, almost like a shark. And so mule deer are just really cool. And anybody that's in the East and has never had a chance to hunt them, you're missing out. I would say, put that on your bucket list is something that you might want to hunt and, and go do. Uh, and then, so, and then to go to just some wild opposite extreme, which I think would be cool. Uh, I think it would be cool to hunt something like a Cape Buffalo or one of those dangerous things that, uh, if you mess up that you might actually become the hunted. <laughs> and so not that I really want that to happen, but I've, I have watched some of these videos from, from Africa where they're hunting Cape Buffalo. And you want to talk about an adrenaline rush. I mean, that's a, that's an adrenaline rush. Well, and, and the first thing that I thought of and the first animal that jumped into my mind was actually sheep, because I, I think that sheep hunting is a, a very unique thing. And it's, it's really like a niche type of group of individuals. But if you actually talk about more invasive type sheep, uh, I had friends that actually hunted sheep on Catalina Island, and that was like a big deal. And they enjoyed the heck out of that. Uh, we've actually had sheep that have escaped from high, high fence uh, hunting preserves, and they've roamed the hillside in Western Pennsylvania here for a couple of years until everyone finally mowed them down. But they became like a big prize. People hunted them really hard because everyone wanted one. And um, it was, it was surprising to me how big of a deal that became. So I think that could be another possibility. So I'm sorry for going with two answers, but I think either one would be exciting. No, and I think sheep would be cool just because most normal people can't afford to go hunt sheep. And so uh, myself included. And so that would be cool even just to give more people the opportunity. Sheep are really cool. I thought of another one and now we're on a train of thought here real quick. It'd be really cool I mean, if we, if we had, again, if we had to go away from whitetails, that if people really got into hog hunting, because not only, I mean, I've hunted them, they are, I, I'm going to admit they're fun to hunt and they taste good, but they're also a heck of a conservation nuisance. And so uh, maybe we could at least temporarily uh, hunt hogs and clean that mess up before, uh, before moving on to something else. So anyway, that's a great question uh, Pierce. And so, uh, th since, since we spent so much time on it, we may have already sent you a hat. I don't remember if we didn't please email us, email me, let me know, I'll send you a hat. If we already sent you a hat, we'll come up with something else here. There's always something laying around that you might be interested in. All right. Next question. This is from Alex. And this is a, this is a good one. Alex 
boy, he drew a short straw here in terms of weather. He has moved from Florida to North Dakota. No, I'm sorry, South Dakota. And, and by the way, when you say Dakota, it doesn't really matter much, folks. It's equally uh, cold. <laughs> um, and he says, any suggestions for cold hands? Uh, obviously, he has moved from a very warm to a very cold environment. And he's a hunter. He loves the deer hunt, but it's having trouble with cold hands. And I'll go first on this one since I made you go first on the other. Uh, for me, well, you have firsthand experience, too, out there. So I do. Get, he's getting he's getting expert advice now. So this is good. Well, yeah. Uh, you're throwing around the word expert uh, pretty loosely there, but I will say this. I am not a big heavy glove kind of guy. I'm not one of these guys that puts the big mittens on or anything like that. I'm actually the opposite. I'm a person that likes to wear thinner gloves and do use like a hand warmer or find a place to tuck my hands away. And so what I use and what I really love are, uh, I'll put a plug in here for our friends at first light. Cause I just love these things. The first light talus fingerless Merino wool gloves. I like having my fingers free because, you know, frankly, I might want to send the doctor a text and tell him what I'm not seeing and complain about <laughs> why I'm not having any luck or these types of things. Uh, but I, I like having my fingers free and I, I find that my fingertips don't ever seem to freeze off or be cold. And so I don't really feel like I'm losing much. So that's my choice. Uh, they are warm. They keep your hands warm, but they keep your fingers free. And I also like to use a hand warmer. Uh, I have moved on to an electric hand warmer made by Zippo which is really cool, which you can charge that thing up and you don't have to have the waste to throw away the disposables. So that's how I roll, Mike. How about you? This is a hard question for me to answer because I don't have too much trouble with cold hands. And to be honest with you, I'm just going to talk. And if someone calls BS on this, they're more than welcome to, but I'm, I'm like you, I, my hands don't usually get cold. So I actually wear a very thin performance fabric uh, glove on one hand. And I'm actually my shooting hand. I'm a left-hander. I never have anything on my left hand, no matter how cold it is. I've hunted and well, the other day we were out, what, 17 degree. I was out in 17 degree weather. I just, you know, have that stuffed in my pocket with a hand warmer. But the one thing I will say is that, and it's whether this works or not, here's where I'm going to say that someone might call BS is that, what he can try next year because he had made the move. But what I purposefully do as the fall starts to unroll is when I go to work, when I'm outside with the dogs, things like that, I will underdress a little bit to kind of push myself to acclimate better to the colder temperatures sooner so that I'm more comfortable when I'm hunting and I don't wear gloves to drive to work. I'll touch that cold steering wheel. I just kind of have my hand out there getting acclimated to that. And the only reason I did that was years ago, I had a patient that worked on high steel. These are, you know, like welders and iron workers and things like that. And I'll never, I'll tell you, go into a story that he said, but um, he said that just as long as he kept his core warm and he had a Carhartt, like a very heavy Carhartt vest, and then he wore like a, uh, a sweatshirt and a flannel and he was good. Uh, and he said, but if he kept himself colder as the temperature started to drop, his body would acclimate sooner. And then once it acclimated, he was fine. I, again, I can't give you any facts or deliverables on that, but that's the philosophy I've always followed. And I don't even bundle that hand. I let it out to the air. Like if it's in my pocket, and it gets too sweaty. I will actually bring it out and let it air dry because actually sweat and evaporation will make it cold. So I try and keep it not sweating. I try and keep it 
cool, but not uh, cold and not too hot. And I kind of um, have had good luck with that, but I don't wear anything on my left hand, on my shooting hand. Well, I can attest that the doctor does dress light. And a matter of fact, that last hunt that you had, you were dressed pretty light and it was pretty cold. So uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, everybody's different. And so I would say experiment, but I think those are a couple suggestions for you to try there and uh, good luck in South Dakota. Great deer hunting, by the way. Uh, you just have to pay the price up there. Uh, you know, Mike, I'm looking forward to talking to Jen here because I'm a little punch drunk. I have had, I had two different video conferences, virtual conferences I was attending at the same time this morning. And so I had my screen, I had split screen. One of the conferences was in France. Yeah, believe it or not, in France, I presented to a group there working on basically getting the good word out about hunting, not just deer, any kind of animal so that we continue to keep the masses comfortable with the idea of hunting. And it was an international conference. I ha- actually hadn't passed up an opportunity to go there, which would have been cool uh, for a lot of reasons. But uh, anyway, I didn't make the trip, but got to present virtually. And that was a lot of fun talking with people who love hunting just as much as, as we do, but from all over the world. And then on the other side, I was watching a prescribed fire conference And so I had these things going on at the same time and I had to kind of pay attention to one. And anyway, long story short, I got a headache from that. So uh, (laughs) I I don't recommend it, but you know, people from all over the world are aware now of the national deer association. So there you have it. All right. I think it's time to bring in Jen. Let's have a little fun with this one. Excited to welcome to the show Jen Delaney. Freedom and Feather, she's an archer. She's a TikTok sensation. She has 1.2 million followers on TikTok, 13, almost 13 and a half million likes of her videos. She's also very successful on YouTube. She has 30,000 followers there, at least nearly 30,000, almost 33,000 followers on Instagram. That's a lot of people. And I think uh, one of the other catchy things is her tagline. Uh, at least on her TikTok pages, terrible at yoga. So I picked up archery. <laughs> so with that, Jen, I'm going to ask you to follow that up and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely. Uh, thanks again for having me, Nick. Um, archery, you know, when I first got into it back in 2017, I was looking to get into something that I always wanted to do, but would be kind of my Zen, my way to, you know, let off some steam, but at the same time, relax. And of course, I tried the typical kickboxing, yoga, and yoga was just absolutely, when I say I was, no, just not for me. I couldn't just do and stay there and listen. So um, I had to have a sit down with myself and be like, what is something I've always wanted to do? What is something that, you know, I think I'd be really good at? And the answer was archery. So that kind of kicked off everything. There was a story I read somewhere, it might have been on your website, where uh, I think as a little girl, your dad might have sent you out with some uh, self-made bows or whatever to fling around. And so you seem to recall that as as part of your driving force to want to do this again. It very much was. And when I say it was a stick and string, I'm talking about snapping off a branch, bending it, and just tying some loops with a big old thick string, giving us some twigs as arrows as my sister and I. They would literally only maybe a foot or two once that you released. But um, looking back when I was sitting in my apartment in Dallas, I always remembered loving it. It was so much fun just running around with that bow and arrow. And uh, it kind of just became, honestly, it was the next step. I was like, archery it is. 
and it just all took off from there. So where do you live and where did you grow up at? So I'm originally from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, I lived here my whole, whole life, born and raised in Texas. I ended up going to school up at OU for undergrad. So after OU, um, I ended up working up in Washington, D.C. and was there for a few years, ended up in Virginia for another couple of years, and finally back in 2016, 17, 16, excuse me, came back to Dallas-Fort Worth for my MBA, and uh, that is when the archery shenanigans begin. I didn't even know it was legal for someone from Texas to go up to OU, but apparently that, <laughs> that does happen. They let you back in the state. I get a lot of questions on that. And all I'm going to say is early acceptance, you're, you know, wow, this feels like forever ago. Your early acceptance, your junior, senior year of high school, it was a deciding factor. I had the whole year just to kind of have fun and be free. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love it. So you obviously, we're going to talk a lot about your archery, but we were talking before we came on to the interview, just a little bit about hunting. And so you are not yet an avid hunter necessarily, but you've got, you've given it a try. So just give us a little insight into that. Yeah. So not an avid hunter yet. Um, I did try once went out there and we didn't see anything. So there's no, no great stories or anything. Although I will say hunters uh, have gone significantly even further up in my books, if that is even possible, because the patience you guys have, it's insane. I was sitting there just antsy. I was like, I could go shoot a twig off the brand. Like, I was like, I can go, can I go just practice over there while we sit? And uh, the husband at the time was just like, fiance at the time was just like, no, Jen, you can't, can't scare away deer, can't scare away anything. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, it doesn't surprise me because you don't seem like by your the videos anyway, you don't look like a person that sits still for very long. Is that accurate? That is, that is pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah. Good. Fun stuff. And just the, I would just want to mention too, to our listeners uh, Jen's not someone you want to get on the wrong side of because she also, in addition to archery, I see she dabbles in knife throwing and axe throwing. So um, you just sort of all these uh, weaponized sports, Jen. Well, knife throwing actually was because of archery. Um, I'm self-taught. So I will say there was a very big learning curve when I was learning how to shoot my bow. And back then I thought it'd be so cool. And keep in mind, I, you know, 2016, 17, a few years ago, I'm still old enough to know better. I was like, I think I'm, I think I can do it without a glove or without protection equipment, if you will. Ooh. And when I say blood blisters and having to take breaks between shooting, uh, it, it was a thing. And so those breaks, I was already out in the woods. I didn't want to come in, you know, only be out there for an hour. So I picked up a set of knives and uh, would take breaks by lobbing them at trees. Yeah. Well, yeah, you met, you've mentioned your husband and I think you're a newlywed, right? Yes. Yes. And so your husband from the, from the video, he's a big dude, but I have to be honest. I mean, you can admit to us anyway, he's, he's got to be a little bit afraid of you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. He says that to all of our friends and anytime funny conversations come up, he's like, she has like seven ways to kill me. I'm not seven out of line. <laughs> <laughs> I love and he it. Is, he's six, four. So he's a, he's a big dude. <laughs> yeah, he definitely is. So that's, that's awesome though. Um, so you're, you're very driven clearly. And I love the story of how you just decided one day, I'm going to pick up something that, that makes me feel good, something that I know I can be good at. But then you eventually ended up getting into sort of the trick shot. So I don't, I don't imagine, I could correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you started throwing lifesavers in the air and shooting at them. You probably just started shooting at a target. But tell us about that. How did this eventually transform into doing trick shots? Oh, yeah. So I absolutely did not start out throwing lifesavers. Um well, I will say that after there's a period of time, you know, I was living in an apartment in Dallas when I started learning how, you know, to shoot my bow and proper technique and everything like that. 
And eventually when I graduated from my MBA, I decided to buy a house and my one condition, my mom was my realtor and she was looking at all these cute homes, you know, very up-to-date wooden floors. And I kept telling her, I do not care about anything other than a large enough backyard where I can safely do my archery shenanigans. Um, so fast forward to me finding the perfect spot and the backyard. After a period of time, you know, shooting as far as I can, if you go back to my fence, to my big target I've built, it's 30 yards. So over a period of time, you know, I noticed that I was kind of like dragging. I didn't feel like I wanted to go out and shoot. I was getting a bit bored just shooting those paper targets. And I had to sit down with myself one day and I was like, what can I do to start, you know, re-engaging my interests? Because I love it. I was very passionate about archery. I just didn't have the motivation to go out and practice if you will. Um, so that's kind of when trick shots really started coming into play. I'm like, okay, well, what if I, you know, did a bouncing moving balloon on a, on a string, it's moving, it's more engaging. Okay. Now, what if I were to throw a balloon filled with water, that could be fun. And then it just kind of took off from there. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to jump in here just because you, you mentioned about the necessities of what you needed in a house, because I was the same way when I was younger, when my wife and I were looking, I said, I need to have a backyard where I can shoot my bow. I need to be able to train my dogs. And early on in my career, I had multiple visits from the state troopers, game warden, you name it. Uh, just because living in a suburban setting and doing some of the country things that I like to do, my neighbors thought I was like some weird guy that just you know landed from another planet. Any weird conversations or weird looks from the neighbors yet? <laughs> Great question. Um, no, I don't know whether, I mean, we, we definitely need a new fence just because, you know, it's not a privacy fence, but there's never been really an issue. I've never had any crazy stories. Like I have a huge, I would say 40 yard gap, maybe even 50 yard gap between like my backdrop and the neighbor's fence. So when I built the huge, you know, at six, you know, eight foot tall, six feet wide, backstop, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do extra safety. So I pulled it in. So I could technically have more room back there to shoot, but with the safety precautions, I, you know, there are some stray arrows occasionally, but they've never gone into neighbor's yards or anything like that. So no one can see me back there. So I've never had an issue. All right. So when you're saying stray arrows, those were all contained in your backyard. You didn't actually generate a lawn ornament or play jarts into your neighbor's uh, <laughs> yard down the road or anything like that. Correct. Never had a stray okay. arrow. It's um, actually though, there's, I have the knife throwing target area back there too. The furthest an arrow is gone is hit. It's hit my wood knife throwing section. So like it literally was a bullseye almost on the knife throwing target section, which is kind of funny, but never an issue with the neighbor's yard. So Nick, you, you said about her husband being afraid of her and Jen, you, you have, you have confirmed that. I think that the neighbors would be like, you know what? Never break into that house. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, I have a funny story. So we do have lawn care folks that come and take care of the, in terms of like, you know, pest control and stuff. And they, uh, one time, a couple months ago, I would say they, I met them. Usually they just come and they do everything in the backyard. But, uh, I was out there talking with them, asking them to treat a specific area. And they're like, you do know what we call your house. Right. And I'm like, uh, no, he's like, well, before I say anything else, is it you or is it your husband that, you know, backyard fun? I'm like, oh, it's me. And he's like, I was like, mostly me. And he's like, we call your house the assassin house. So, <laughs> so they literally, when they come here, they, I guess they, they get really excited and they have to draw straws on who gets to come and take care of the assassin's house. So. <laughs> Love it. Putting, Love putting it. their Kevlar on, you know, before they walk in. Right. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah, you got to be known fun. for something, no, no doubt. Right? <laughs> uh, so I want to ask you about TikTok in particular. Okay. And so you've told us that, okay, you didn't just start out shooting trick shots and whatnot, but then at some point you had to make the decision, I'm going to post this out there for the world to see. And just so that you know, I am myself pretty new to TikTok. The reason I got on there is because I heard so much about it. And we're always looking for ways at the National Deer Association to get our message out. And that's where I found you. I'm, I'm literally talking, I've only been looking at it for maybe a month. And so uh, I just, I, that's where I saw you the first time. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Uh, and so we'll get back into that. But just at one point you decided, okay, I'm going to post a video on TikTok. And the first one you did was in May of 2020. And I remember seeing a comment on there. It's, someone said, this should go viral. And then you ended up with over 9,100 likes on that very first video. So just sort of take us through that. Well, um, yeah. So TikTok, it was, it's a great platform, especially when you're sharing something unique and a bit different, I would say. I'd started off on Instagram and I've always been hesitant in the beginning. I was extraordinarily hesitant to share what I was doing just because, you know, a couple of years ago, I feel like it was, and it you know, could be wrong, but at least in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I felt like traditional archery in terms of not hunting, just having fun with it, more recreational, wasn't very well known slash, you know, they're like, people would ask me what I'm doing and I'd tell them and they'd kind of stare at me and there'd be a pause. They're like, oh, really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, really? It's a lot of fun, I promise. And of course I've dragged some friends out there, but for TikTok posting, I decided that, you know, what I'm doing is a lot of fun. And I wish there were more people in it. I wish there were more ladies into it. And so that kind of was the really driving factor of my first TikTok post. I just wanted to start, you know, sharing a little bit more, seeing if there was other folks that, you know, were kind of interested in what I was doing, you know, ways to challenge myself. If there was other, like at that time I hadn't heard of Byron Ferguson yet or any of the amazing shooters. And I hadn't like, you know, really researched too, too much into it, but I just wanted ways to challenge myself. So that was kind of the driving factor on my first post. And then shortly after that, your, your first, what I would call viral post, only on only just a few maybe two weeks later you posted the one blowing out the candle which is an awesome video and then that one had about a half million likes and was it at that point where you realized like wow this is kind of a big deal people like what I'm putting out there and it was it was um it, it was very much a confidence booster in the sense that people aren't looking at these videos and being like hmm they're looking at it and being like whoa maybe I should try that or whoa I'm going to try that so yeah did you ever dream when you posted that first video that you'd be where you're at now? In a million years, in a million years, Nick, I never dreamed where Freedom and Feathers would get to where it's at as of now. And so, and I, so Jen, I'm going to oh, go ahead. We're so excited oh, to hear more. We're just talking all over each other. I love it. So <laughs> we have all these questions for you, which is fun. So we'll let you finish, Jen, and then we'll let the doctor jump in there. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's been insane. It's been a whirlwind. Um, I, I love it. You know, everything about it has been just such a ride, and it's been great. So. so, Jen, when you talk, the one thing that I hear is that you're self-taught. You did not use a lot of, or you didn't have a lot of experience and understanding of trick shooting and and archery in general. So you had to go out and capture that information. So, and I know everyone's journey is a little bit different, but can you maybe give someone out there that's listening your insight, you know, your just synopsis of 
how do you vet that information? Because with traditional archery and traditional shooting, there's a lot of information out there. Did you have a system in regards to how you looked at something and said, I think that'll work for me. That's definitely not. Or did you just get out there and just shoot a bunch on your own and then try and figure out, Hey, this does kind of tie into my style. More so the latter, I would say. Um, but with that, I also, I did do YouTube, you know, researched, watched YouTube videos, some of those tutorials online. Um, the one thing that I will say that has always been like a driving factor that I've seen and that I always share with my friends wanting to learn or, you know, any kids that parents bring over, like friend, family, friends that they want to learn how to shoot. It, it's, it's practice, right? You have to practice, but you also have to have the understanding of proper form. But keep in mind that traditional archery at its very core, it, it's going to be something that eventually moseys into instinctive shooting. And you have to be in, you have to be mindful of what your body is saying to you. As in what I'm doing is never ever going to match what Byron Ferguson's doing or whatever. It's not going to match any other archers because you want to get in touch with the way your body works with a bow. You need to figure out your rhythm and you need to understand that it's okay if it's different. I have two different anchor points, depending on whether I'm throwing something up in the air or whether I'm at a distance shot. And like, it's just something that you have to learn and adapt to over time. I think that'd be my number one thing for those listening and wanting to get into archery is that it, it is a learning curve, a lot of practice, um, but don't be afraid if your form or if the way you're shooting looks a little bit different from other people, because it should, it needs to be specific to your body. Um, you know, your draw length, you know, the type of bow you're shooting every, all those play into kind of ultimately how well you shoot and how consistent you are. Yeah. I like that answer. I try. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to, at the end here, we'll be sure to tell people where to find you, but back to the, just the, the whole TikTok thing and the videos, would you consider yourself a natural entertainer? I mean, because you're very good at it. And one of the things that I enjoy about your videos is you seem to, most of your videos start with sort of this, uh, I dare you to challenge me kind of look. <laughs> and so that seems to come very natural to you. Uh, just tell us about that. I mean, that's just who you are. So uh, another great question. That look has come from, um, I've, you know, obviously there's always been a lot of support online, but there's also been a lot of folks who are, you know, might argue that someone else can do it better or someone else did it first, or maybe even that it's all fake, whatever it might be. So those looks kind of came from, I never try to engage in those comments just because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm doing this because I love it. And there's a lot of folks who love and are passionate about archery as well, or want to get into it. Those looks came from a, I'm capable, I'm going to do this shot. And uh, yeah, someone might've done it before me, but someone makes a basketball hoop for any other basketball player, people do the same touchdown every game. Like ballerinas have the same type of moves and spins, same as cheerleaders. Like at the end of the day, sure, someone does a shot before you, but that doesn't take away the fact that you hit the shot. You got the shot. So those looks are usually because I'm like, I'm excited. I'm happy. I want to share with everyone. I want to see other people do the same shots. I want to see folks, you know, getting engaged and excited about archery. So. Yeah, well, good for you for sticking with it. We could have a whole other show just talking about uh, idiots and trolls on social media. <laughs> and so good for you for just sticking through it and not paying attention to that uh, kind of stuff that's out there. Uh, and even the music you use, you do a really good job of putting these videos together. Um, so your choice of music in your videos is very diverse. Is that your taste or are you just trying to find the right combination? Yeah, well, you know how TikTok, so TikTok has this algorithm where they want you to use in order to get on the for you page, unless you get a lot of views, they want you to use their trending sounds. 
my music, my taste is very much country and rock and roll. That's what I love. That's my jam. But sometimes that does not pair well, if you will, with um, the videos I'm doing. I definitely always want my videos to be more upbeat and inspiring and, you know, just exciting versus not. So I try to find songs that I also like, you know, am prone to or I like. So I do always try to post something that I'm interested in versus just the trending songs. But I would say at the end of the day, my heart is country and rock and roll. Well, I'm going to jump in there real quick. And, and this is, and this is a, a compliment to you, Jen, in regards to, you know, good for you for, you know, sticking to your guns and knowing who you are as a person. I think too many individuals out there that are either in the media and the ones of us that really are not, because I'm kind of like this behind the scenes guy, like no one really knows who the doctors, which I'm really happy about for the most part, but in all seriousness, that what you just said right there, I think a lot of people need to take to heart because we are so sensitive or we're, we're so pursue so much pursuing, trying to fit in, but truthfully, when you're yourself and you're confident in that people will gravitate to you because they, they like that energy. So, so good on you for, for being your own person and sticking to your guns. Well, thank you. I absolutely agree. It's hard, especially in the social media world, you know, people see things, they feel like they need to imitate. I think it's important to stick to who you are and, you know, your values at the end of the day. So we talked a little bit ago about the fact that it's important to you that more people learn archery or that are aware of it. Uh, you've talked about even instructing people. It sounds like you have people that even come over and get some lessons from you, which is awesome. And then you started a little mini series on your TikTok page, probably your other pages too, just about uh, telling people more about archery, educating them on things. And so one of the one of the videos in particular you posted, I thought was really cool, was the one. Uh, I, I don't think it has a title, but where you talk about uh, being the last of a dying breed and how that's not <sighs> true. I, I really mm -hmm. love that one. And so the reason I'm, I'm setting what I'm setting the stage here for is that your your uh, sort of TikTok fame in particular is introducing a lot of people to archery, whether or not you realize that or not. So uh, is that something you think about at all? And is this something, a torch that you want to continue to kind of carry for the sport of archery? Absolutely. No, it's something that I think about a lot. And a lot of my friends are chatting with me about um, the fact that more people have been getting into archery because of my TikTok videos just means the absolute world to me. And I, I see those comments, people saying they got into their high school archery, um, I guess, sport because of my videos. And first off, I'm always insanely jealous when I see those comments because my high school did not have archery and that would have been amazing. Um, but those types of comments, knowing that folks are out there getting into archery, that archery pro shops are getting a bit overwhelmed because so much interest in tradition. It's, it's just, it's the best feeling. That's good. I'm, I'm, it's important. I think that I, mean, I just love the fact that you want to pass it on and that you want to get more people involved with it and whether you want to hunt or not, I think it's obviously I'm excited to hear that you want to, you want to learn to hunt and I feel bad for the first deer that gives you an opportunity. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to throw a knife or an ax at it or an arrow, but <laughs> one way or another, it's going to be in trouble. And I want to, I want to follow up with you at some point and we want to keep, keep up with your hunting endeavors, but uh, also just this idea of passing it forward. One of the, our programs that's really popular at the national deer association is called field to fork. And it's where we take typically a young to middle-aged adults out hunting who have never hunted before, but have always wanted to try. And we're always talking about how do we get this in front of people? How do we show people that, you know what, there's, there are always going to be people that just never want to hunt and are anti-hunting or whatnot, but that's fine. But how do we get to the people that have always, whether just like your archery situation, there are people that probably always really wanted to shoot a bow and couldn't. 
Uh, do you think that your platform and what you've done, whether it be TikTok or the other social media, uh, is that a, is that another good way to pursue this to get it in front of people? I think it's a great start. I think that social media and showing that, you know, at the end of the day, anyone can do it. And social media being the way to kind of express that is literally the best stepping stone, if you will, because from there, people can see it's relatable and anyone from any walks of life can do it. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Jen, we've jumped in here and talked about getting people interested and getting excited, getting them them fired up. So let's try and uh, close the loop here a little bit. Just off the top of your head, and again, these are your own personal suggestions. Uh, what kind of a uh, what kind of equipment? You know, maybe if you want to, you're comfortable dropping a couple brand names, uh, a couple locations where they could go and start to try and find some equipment so they can start to practice. Yeah, so I, I've told this to my friends and folks online. Um, I have found Three Rivers Archery to be they are amazing folks. They have a wide range of selections, depending on what you're looking for. And they are always more than happy just to chat with you and help you find what you need. So honestly, my go-to for most of my gear is Three Rivers Archery. From arrows to bows to quivers to, you know, I have to replace my gloves every so often because, you know, I'm out there and kind of aggressive with them. Same with the arrows. So they've been great. (laughs) Uh, Incidentally, I have an order from Three Rivers Archery that's due to be on my doorstep by this evening. So <laughs> it's the best feeling. I love it. What'd you get new arrows? Actually, I have a new, I have a new string. I did get arrows recently, but no, I have, I have a new string coming. Uh, what else do I have? Some silencers, uh, some, I think a moleskin for my shelf, just some, just some smaller stuff, but yeah, it's a, it's nice to know it's coming. I'm always excited when it gets here. Oh, I always love opening up the packages from three Rivers archery. I'm just, I already know what's in it because I ordered it, but it's just like Christmas every single time. <laughs> Well, I got to ask you because I, so just so that you understand our timelines here, Mike has been shooting traditional archery for quite a while. I used to do it when I was younger, then I got away from it and I'm reconnecting with it now. And so, uh, and I think partly, I'm going to say I'm partly inspired by your videos because it was about that time that I started picking my bow up and wanting to do this again. And so uh, I'm, I'm also looking for a new bow. I have a custom long bow. And so whether it be for me or somebody else, what's what is a good bow for you know not not the lowest end of the spectrum but maybe not the highest what would you recommend somebody starting out get into yeah so depending on your price range if you're looking for recurves the carine i never know if i say that correctly from three overs is something that i shoot with i would say weekly um you, they have it's a takedown so you can adjust the limbs accordingly i'm usually shooting 35 or 40 um depending on how long i plan to be out there for and if you're looking for more of a longbow, the Kiska from Three Rivers is a beauty and she is smooth and silent. And I cannot express to you how much I love that longbow. Um, I will say a bit more on the price you're in and it makes me a bit nervous shooting with her sometimes just because I can be hard on my equipment, but it, it is such a joy to shoot with. And so how much do you practice? How much are you practicing in a week's time? Oh, it depends on work. So um, archery is my hobby, my passion. And I do have a full-time job. So I would say every weekend, Fridays, probably starting around you know four or so, I'll practice on as much Saturday, Sunday as I can. During the week, if I get off early, I'll practice for an hour or two. If there's a lull for lunch, maybe I'll go out there and shoot for an hour. I would say on average, I'm shooting uh, three to four days a week, a um, couple of hours. And just let that sink in for people. That's a lot. I mean, when I go downstairs and it's, 
you don't have this problem in Dallas, Fort Worth right now, but we've got about a foot of snow outside our, our doors <laughs> here. And so I've been shooting in my basement, just trying to work on form. And I know I wear out in about 30 minutes. So you are, you've been doing this a while. You've obviously built up uh, the muscle tolerance and whatnot, but that's a lot of practice. That's a lot of practice. So that these shots you're pulling off, those don't happen by accident. Well, I put in the time and effort. Um, usually the weekends are for more filming. The Whenever I get out, just even some weekends, I just dedicate to no film and just do drills. But whether I'm doing close-up or distance drills, I still try to make it fun. I'll get old arrows, stick them in the ground, put little targets on them. Same thing as shooting paper, except gives you a little bit of diversity, if you will. And I love the days when I just get to do drills. It's what hones your technique. It, it's what makes hitting those shots, shooting out candles, um, so much more fun because you know that you'll get it within a few shots and uh, it's because of all the practice. Let's get into some of those shots because I have some favorites. Now, I, some people that are listening to this have not seen you yet. I'm sure of it. And so the, immediately when this show's over, they're going to be going and they're going to be checking this stuff out. So I'm, I'm going to give them a little sense of what they can expect to see there. And these are just some of my favorites. I love the ones you do with the candles. The one you just posted where I think you had four candles lined up and you took the tops off of them. Uh, that was pretty awesome. The lifesaver, of course, uh, you have one where you're splitting a playing card in half, uh, spinning the spinning. And I don't know how you do this one or how many takes it took, but the one where you have the spinning wine bottle and you put one through <laughs> the opening in the bottle. I mean, mm -hmm. goodness. I mean, that's incredible. And then another one that just blows my mind is where you shoot the arrow in half. You yep. shoot another arrow in half. So, man, I, I got to ask you a couple things. I'm not going <laughs> to ask you how you do it because I know how you do it. You do it through hard work and you put the time in, but how many arrows do you go through in a year and how many takes? I mean, you said days are reserved for filming. I mean, you don't have to give us all your secrets, but I'm just, I'm curious behind the scenes. How do you pull this stuff off? Oh gee. Well, arrows I go through, you do not want to know because at the end of the day, you know, I, I am aggressive on my arrows. The backdrop I built, you know, I had to put some bolts in. Sometimes I'll just hit a bolt, you know, going full yeah. power, 40 pounds, and it will just, so that arrow gets cracked. I have to toss it in the trash. So I go through a lot of arrows um, in terms of how do I shoot. So I will say most of my shots, there are some exceptions. Some take longer, but most of them are, I, I can, if I have a shot in mind and after I've prepped for it, as in that bottle shot you were mentioning, I had to like spend a full day. I didn't even shoot that day. I had to figure out, go to Lowe's, get the stuff. I'm like, okay, I want it to spin. I need to do it this box. I had to get it all together, just prep it, right? And that took almost like a good chunk of my Saturday. And then I was shooting out there on Sunday and I got the shot within, oh, I'm usually shooting with six arrows when I'm doing trick shots, if I'm not throwing something. So I think I got that shot within 15 minutes of shooting. Wow. Um, and my fear, of course, was breaking the bottle and having to take the thing up and go and replace and get a new bottle and bring it back down. And cause that's part of trick shots, right? Sometimes you don't get the shot you want. You mess it up by hitting a different part or, and you have to go get a new piece of equipment to go fix it. But that shot was awesome. Um, it didn't have to redo anything with that one, but yeah, sometimes the shots take, you know, 15 minutes or so the peanut shot. When I shot the peanut out of the air, that one took a little bit. The peanut is not the heaviest thing in the world. So learning, getting a good rhythm of throwing it and then sniping it out of the air. That was, that was a bit challenging. Same with the CD. The CD, I would keep hitting the side of it or shattering it, but I wanted to get through the center. So I had a couple of takes before I was able to get that shot with the CD. I, I saw somewhere, I, one of your comments, or maybe you said it right in the video that you went through a few CDs before you pulled that one off. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> exactly. You know, it's very satisfying shattering a CD in the air, but I was like, no, that's not the goal. That's not the goal. Keep going, Jen. Yeah, exactly. And you do this thing when you complete a shot where you kind of raise your right arm. I don't even know if you realize you do it all the time. <laughs> and like, I can just sense the pure joy and accomplishment when you pull that off. So I mean, it's, you just have to have that feeling, right? It, it is. I've gotten so many questions. Everyone, at least on every video, there's one post asking why I raised my hand. And in the beginning, it was because of pure joy and excitement that I got the shot. And then it also became when my uh, fiance got more involved with helping me set up shots or whatever, we'd have friends come over starting to shoot. It also became a clear, I'm not going to shoot again real quick. I'm not going to do anything crazy. So they could come and help and do it, whatever they needed to do. So it's both excitement and now also clear. When they see that, they know no arrows are going to be flying. I'm not doing anything crazy. And they're good to walk around. Yeah, the assassin house is going offline. <laughs> exactly. You are safe to walk about the backyard. <laughs> it's at some point we're going to have to have Jen back on, but we wanted to bring her husband on too, so that he can tell us, you know, what he thinks about all this stuff. But, uh, oh no, yeah. he has way too many good stories. I don't know if I can let that happen. Oh, it sounds like we need to just have him on the show. Maybe next time <laughs> we can get the real behind the scenes of what's going on there. But um, I want to ask you a, a bit of a serious question and then we'll get into where people can find you. Um, and so, as I mentioned earlier, and this is where I think we have some parallels, um, you're, you're certainly passionate about spreading the sport of archery. Uh, Mike and I are lifelong archery shooters and hunters. And we know, whether it be archery or even hunting, that there are a lot of people out there, matter of fact, millions of them who want to do it. They want, they want to shoot bows or they want to hunt. And so at the National Deer Association, one of our goals is we want to spread the word, the good word about deer and why deer are so important to all of wildlife conservation. And so I believe, and, and as someone that's just getting into hunting, maybe you can help tell me whether I'm right or not. I believe that for a lot of people, it's just simply knowing more, giving them more information, more of the basics about the fact that if you just like watching birds in your backyard, you should care about deer hunting because they foot the bill for a lot of wildlife conservation. And I believe that, that there is a whole group of people out there. If we just get in front of them and they hear the story about deer and why they're so important, that they'll want to be part of what we're doing. Uh, do you believe that's the case as somebody that's just sort of dipping your toe into the water of, of deer hunting? Yeah, no, absolutely. I believe the biggest challenge right now is just accessibility. As you mentioned, millions of people want to get into archery. They're interested. Um, deer hunting or even recreational, you know, especially with deer though, like getting people aware that it's easy, you know, giving them the right to gear, giving them the access to the ability to go hunting. I think that that is one of the biggest driving forces of stopping those folks from entering and having fun in this amazing industry, amazing group of people. It's just they don't know really where to begin. They don't know if it's going to cost a lot of money to be able to go out and hunt deer. And, you know, they're interested. But I think the biggest roadblock right now is just spreading the awareness that archery is accessible. There are places around. There are people who will teach you. There are resources to get the right gear and learn how to shoot and who will help you transition, you know, to going out to those, you know, plots of land and hunting on those deer leases, whatever it is. I think that is exactly kind of spot on, Nick, one of the biggest roadblocks. Yeah, I, I appreciate that answer. That's, I, I wanted to ask you that and um, down the road may continue to, to pick your brain on that type of stuff and, and find a way to work together on it maybe at some point. Um, Absolutely. So what's next? What is, what's next for Freedom and Feathers? What's next for you? I mean, you, 
you keep doing these things that you probably ask yourself, well, I don't know how I'm going to top that one. So I'm just kind of curious. Uh, what, what do you think on, on tap for you? Um, well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't have not posted as much recently. Um, there's a couple of things in the works. Um, I, can't, I can't say more until, you know, middle of February, but there's some exciting stuff that's coming up. Um, and then after that kind of wraps up, then it's just going to be um, back to brainstorming on some new chick shots. I have, I did a Jenga shot recently and I kind of want to go back to it and see if I can get more Jenga slots from different distances. I think that'd be fun to play, but it's all about coming up with the new and interesting shots that my uh, fans will like to see me shoot an arrow with. So Jen, while I, for me to kind of finish up here with you, other than your social media platforms, can you give the listener any resources out there other than obviously calling a, a really reputable um, bow shop to get some information through Rivers Archery you mentioned, but any um, online resources, any printed resources that, that you'd recommend for these individuals to see if they want to explore this a little bit further? Absolutely. So one of the resources I tell folks is usarchery.org. Um, you can find clubs and I actually wish I had found out about it you know, earlier on in my career. You can put in your zip code and find clubs. You can find places to shoot in your area. Um, aside from that, you know, just general YouTubing, just instructions. Those That's also a great resource. But if you want to shoot and you want to find a group of folks, I would say usarchery.org or even the Facebook group. I've seen some archery groups pop up recently and it's, it's pretty cool to see. And right. if you have a high school and you're a high school student and you have an archery team, I encourage you to join that because I'm very jealous that as well. <laughs> yeah. The national archery in the schools program is one that comes to mind. that is, I think growing in popularity and for good reason. So it's amazing. where can people find you? Because I, I really want people to go uh, see what I've seen, what, what got me excited to talk to you and introduce you to folks. Where can they find you if they haven't seen you yet? Um, you can check out my TikTok, Freedom and Feathers, or Instagram. Um, I also have a website, which is freedomandfeathers.com. So any of those platforms, um, there's an inquiry form as well. So if you have questions, um, you know, about gear or anything like that, we are looking at putting up a frequently asked questions page soon, hopefully by February. Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out that way as well. Awesome. I hope people take advantage of that. All right. Well, Jen, we are cognizant of your time. You probably need to get out there and start practicing. So we don't want to hold you up any longer, but we really, really appreciate talking to you. Congratulations, by the way, on all of your success on your, uh, your new marriage as well. You look like you're having a heck of a lot of fun and not, not sitting in one place for very long. And so that's, that's a good thing. So thank you. Thank you so much, Nick, for having me. It's been a blast talking with you and Mike. Um, I've enjoyed every bit of it. And I just hope more folks realize that archery you know, it's accessible and there's resources out there. So a lot of opportunity to learn how to shoot and join the club. I would say mission accomplished with that, Mike. That was a lot of fun. I mean, how can it not be fun to talk to somebody who lives in a place that the delivery people refer to as the assassin house? <laughs> uh, you know, someone that just for fun, not only shoots arrows in all kinds of crazy ways, but throws axes and knives and, uh, that that was fun. It was fun. And I enjoy those conversations. But when, when you drive it down and take a look at it a little bit more deeply, there, there's also a lot of dedication there. But the dedication she has comes out of enjoyment, comes out of pleasure. She said she's not a yoga person. And, and I would actually 
give her a high five on that one because I'm not a yoga person either. So, but she, but she looks at archery and axe throwing as a way to rejuvenate herself. And, uh, you know, I hate throwing around that term mental health because um, I'm not saying that Jen has any issues, but we all need those <laughs> outs in society to be able to kind of push our reset button. And the fact that she does that for sheer enjoyment to keep herself challenged and entertained and ready to take on the world the next day is, is a great thing. I love the fact also that she is becoming a hunter. She's sort of starting that journey. And so she's very driven, clearly. This, the whole story about from the time where her dad was making bows for her uh, as a small child to the point where she just decides a few years ago, you know what, I'm going to pick up archery and not only just pick it up, but become incredibly good at it. I mean, you'll I definitely encourage you to look her up and watch her videos if you haven't seen them already. But she also, she didn't set out to be this social media sensation. She just originally started shooting bows. And that's why I was really curious as a new hunter and also her ability to reach people, not, not just being an entertainer, but educating people about archery. I was really interested in what she had to say about how we can help spread our word because we're trying to reach, frankly, a lot of the same people I'm sure that are watching her shoot her bow. Well, it's, it's like anything else. Um, some people just find their niche. And what I like about her is that she's fully aware of who she is, what she does and, and how she can actually impact people. But she's very conscientious about that. The information she is sharing is as factual as she can find. And she's really trying to get people to try it, not by, through peer pressure or anything else, just out of sheer enjoyment. Look how much fun I'm having. Give it a try. It might not be right for you, but she's using that platform to really reach a lot of people and do a lot of good things. And I think NDA is really doing, trying to do the same thing. Definitely a lot of parallels there. And uh, we appreciate Jen's time and having her on today. Speaking of trying new things in traditional archery. And I said this to her and it's true. I, I blame her partially for me taking a really <clears throat> deep dive here. Now you and I had talked going into the hunting season or after the hunting season that, Hey, I wanted to pick up my longbow and get back into shooting traditional. And then of course, watching her stuff. And next thing you know, here I am deeply into it. And so I, I don't ever, I'm not entertaining the thoughts of trying to shoot like Jen shoots, but I'd like to be able to hit a pie plate at 20 yards with regularity so that I can go hunting. <laughs> And so I'm all in on this, Mike, and I certainly, I appreciate your help as someone who's done this and who has actually taken a couple of deer with traditional gear. I started when I was just a little kid and many people can, I think, relate to this. Maybe you can, Mike, do you remember the just sort of over the counter plastic yellow bows with the black handle and they just had a real simple string on them. They were for kids came with like two or three hastily fletched arrows. Do you remember those things? Well, I, I do. Mine were the, there was actually a 55 gallon garbage can at the end of the aisle in the sporting goods store or at, at Kmart, uh, the sporting goods section. And you just grabbed one out. Mine was like a green fiberglass one with a, with a white handle. And you just grabbed a handful of the, the arrows. And I shot that thing until I couldn't shoot it anymore. And, um, but, and I think that's kind of where Jen comes from. It's just fun. It's sometimes traditionally, it's just fun to shoot. 
And if that's what your goal is, then by all means do that. But yeah, it's, it's been in my blood for a long time. I wasn't allowed to have a BB gun until I was like 18. Okay. Not 18, but I was at least 12. <laughs> I was at least 12. I was, a, I was a late bloomer. I was at least 12. I think before my mother allowed me to have a pellet gun, maybe it was 10. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing a disservice, but I was allowed to have a bow though, much younger. And I remember running around with the neighborhood kids and we were shooting these bows and shooting them at probably things we shouldn't have been shooting at. And then when I got my first, uh, my first, compound bow uh, and i think i was 15 i didn't have sights for it and so i learned to shoot that bow i would say instinctively and i got pretty good at it and the first year i hunted with that compound bow it was it was without sights but i was fully comfortable that i could hit that plate at 20 yards pretty consistently and so as i'm trying to climb back into this and then hearing Jen talk about her level of dedication and the amount of time you have to shoot. I think that's really what it boils down to is putting the time in, getting your form and just sort of making that instinctive shot like second nature. And, and there's a, that's a really deep rabbit hole that you're kind of dancing around the edge of. And so I'll just leave it at that, but yeah, there's, um, there's multiple definitions of shooting instinctively and I'm not going to talk about that. You can get on the internet and find as much about that information as you want. But uh, again, listen to what Jen says, kind of, you know, my philosophy is as well as, you know, do what works for you. I mean, I mean you can always listen to what other people are saying, take it with a grain of salt, think about it critically, but there might be one simple thing that they're doing that really works for you. And the rest is just, I don't want to call it useless, but will not be a benefit it might be more frustrating. So, um, yeah, that's a process that it does take a lot of time and a lot of repetition and conscious repetition where you're really looking at the pluses and the minuses until you finally start to hone it down to where it becomes very efficient. And, and Jen almost makes it look like it's that bow and arrow is just an extension of her, but uh, that's what a lot of practice does for you. Well, I think getting a mentor is important. I certainly picked the doctor's brain on this. He's helped me a ton. CJ Davis, who we had on from Montana decoys, another person I've talked to a bunch about it, uh, has been very helpful. Uh, YouTube, get, get a digital friend. My goodness, there's so much stuff out there. And I have watched some of it's bad. <laughs> some, some of it's really good. And some of it's just entertaining. Uh, and so uh, I've been doing a lot of YouTubing. And one thing that a lot of people have recommended, and this really just goes against my uh, what do I want to say? Uh, I guess, I guess it just sort of goes against my, my ego a little bit. And that is, and I, and I just had to suck it up and admit it. Start with a really lightweight bow and really hammer out that form. Don't think you can just pick up in my case, I have a 52 pound long bow. Don't think you're going to pick that thing up and all of a sudden just come up with great form. And so what I've done is followed advice. And I got an inexpensive takedown bow that I can adjust the limbs on. And it's going to start out at just 35 pounds, Mike. So I can perfect that, uh, form. And when I told you, I did that, you immediately said, good move. Yeah. I mean, it's 35 pounds is legal. The, the minimum legal hunting limit in the state of Pennsylvania, I've killed two deer with a bow strung at 35 pounds. And both of them were like a, a very, very efficient and humane harvest. Um, so don't let the weight fool you. It's all about woods. Like is 
as you, you know, kind of have to get into this mode, your woodsmanship has to change. You have to think about things like how high in the tree you are. What's my shot angle? I need a better shot angle. What trail are they going to come in on? I need to cover this trail. So therefore I need to be closer. You might need to be on the ground. So, you know, it's a lot of woodsmanship comes in after you try and transition from shooting traditional archery to hunting with traditional equipment. Everything changes from like form practice and everything. All those things have to continue on. And then your woodsmanship skills have to be honed even more. Well, I'm looking forward to the challenge. Absolutely. And certainly appreciate your help and anybody listening here. If you have advice, send it my way. I'm happy to, to see it. I'm certainly not an expert. I'm a, I'm a novice at this, but looking forward to the challenge. Hey, one last thing I want to mention here. Uh, I know this is a tough time of year for a lot of people, depending on where you live. I know we, uh, where, where the doctor and I live, we had about a foot of snow and now we've gotten, it seems like a foot of rain in the last 24 hours. Uh, it's just not a really good time to be out there doing anything. I'm eager to get out there though and do some timber management get some trees down. And, and it made me think to just remind people of this. Uh, please try to refrain from uh, artificially feeding wild deer out there. It's not good for them. You go onto our website, there are a million reasons why it's not good for them. We write it, we've written about it many times. Uh, it is just not the ideal thing. You're not helping deer by going out and spreading corn and doing some of these other things. You're actually doing the opposite. Uh, deer are quite adept at dealing with limited amounts of food for long periods of time. So uh, please keep that in mind. They're not starving out there, even though you might think about, man, I'd be really hungry if I was out there that long and didn't have much to eat. Deer just aren't wired that way. And there was actually a really good article in our newsletter last week that Mark Kenyon wrote for Meat Eater. Uh, and, and Mark interviewed me for this article. The title of it was Three Easy Ways You Can Help Whitetail Conservation. So there are a lot of things you can do to help deer right now. I encourage you to check out that article, but artificially feeding them is not one of them. So save yourself the time and the money, uh, please. With that, we'll go ahead and call it a show. This was a fun one. If you're not already, uh, please consider subscribing to the show. Yeah, tell your friends about us, as we always ask you to do. We'd appreciate that. Uh, you can subscribe. You can, you can find us easily at deerassociation.com slash podcast. And uh, you also, we're still running the promo. If you're not a member of NDA, use the word podcast whenever you check out and you'll save five bucks off a $35 membership. Uh, for more about the National Deer Association, if you're new to the show and not, don't know much about us, just go to deerassociation.com. We have a million resources there. Uh, just about anything deer, you can find it there on our website. So check it out. You can also find us on all the most popular social media sites and uh, definitely check us out there. We appreciate you listening, folks. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. <laughs>